Welcome to season four of The Culture of Kindness. My name is Nahala Summers and I am your host. A culture of kindness is based on the idea that by bringing kindness into leadership, we reduce stress, anxiety, make happier workplaces, and in turn, improve the bottom line for any organization or institution. It is a book, leadership program, accreditation, and of course, this wonderful podcast. Kindness has been my life's work since I founded the social movement for kindness back in 2012 called Sunshine People. And it has kept me interested on what people have to say on the complexities of kindness ever since. The guest lineup is exceptional. From politicians to social media influencers, best-selling authors to BBC presenters, an eclectic mix of people who all have completely different views on kindness, how we get it and where the world is currently at. If you enjoy this episode, then please do show your support for kindness by subscribing to the podcast, leave a five-star review or simply invest in the book, aptly named A Culture of Kindness, available on Amazon. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoy. Robin, thank you so much for joining me on A Culture of Kindness podcast. You're so welcome and so infamous as well. I hear your name so often in the kindness world that is. Um, So, yeah, it's just great to have you here. It's an absolute Um, pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. Um, So I guess to start with, maybe to talk about your job role, you know, the head of school of psychology at the University of Sussex, and, and kind of talk about how did you get to that role, first of all, but also some of the things that make you happy in life. Okay, fabulous. Um, well, like I said, it's a really, really an honour to be uh, invited on to uh, this podcast with you, Nana. Um, and yeah, I mean, just thinking about how I got into this position in the first place, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a journey like everything else, isn't it? We go on a journey and sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, for me, the journey started with arriving at University of Sussex because um, I grew up, I didn't grow up in the UK, I grew up um, in, in other countries. I was actually in Japan um, attending a, an American school, American high school, uh, just before I came to uh, the UK. So I arrived in the UK actually as an undergraduate at University of Sussex studying psychology. Um, and that was nearly 30 years ago now. Um, and I've been here ever since. So after a very international background, I actually ended up kind of staying put uh, for the last 30 years. Um, But I think that's because I feel really comfortable here and I have good connections with people, obviously raised and still raising a a family here as well. Um, And my experience of uh, being in psychology at Sussex has been a, a really personal one because like I said, I arrived as a student myself um, and uh, ended up continuing on after my undergraduate degree, doing a PhD, and then uh, eventually becoming one of the academics here. Um, and yeah, just progressed in my career. And just in August 2019, took over as head of the School of Psychology. Um, so it's been it's been an interesting time. Let me just put it this way, now. It's been an interesting time to become the head of a, a big school. Uh, you know, we've got 
nearly a couple of thousand students and uh, uh, you know about a hundred staff here. Um, and it's 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 been a it's been a ride. Let's put it like that. The last last fifteen or sixteen months has just been absolutely extraordinary. Uh, you know, one thing after another, and we're all learning to get to grips with a really uncertain context. Things are unpredictable. It's like the illusion of stability that we all have had for so long has been a little bit shattered. Really. Yeah. And we're all having to get to grips with actually being in a situation where no, no one really does know what the answer is. No one really does know what's going to happen. And we just have to come together to work out the best solutions. Yeah. Um, but I suppose that really speaks to the, the other part of your question about what makes me happy is in the end, it's people, isn't it? People are what really matter. We're, we're social creatures and the connections we have with the people around us are, are so important. And I, I think for me, I'll, I'd have to point to my family, uh, you know, my wife, and I've got three kids who are uh, um, now 16, 20, and 22, um, and they bring such huge joy. Um, and of course, it, it's been an interesting experience because, uh, especially our my older girls, uh, they had gone away, but now they're back as well. Uh, one's actually now gone uh, uh, back, back at uni. Um, but it's the relationships with the people who matter in your life. You know, that's, what, that's what brings you that happiness and the joy. So. Slightly off topic, but mm-hmm. on topic of exactly what you were talking about then. I was kind of going to go on to the lab and, and the Quest lab, but I just want to discuss with you you know you've seen that for yourself the the relationships with people how do you see I mean you're research based I know and you probably haven't started any research on this yet but how do you see that the impact of COVID is going is going to have on our relationships do you have some kind of ideas and predictions on what that might be well it's interesting actually we are doing a huge amount of research in that space um Actually, all across this, all across the um, uh, higher education sector, people have been doing incredible research, trying to understand the nature of the pandemic and its impacts on people and communities. Um, and uh, our work at Sussex has been no exception. There's been a huge amount of attention to it. We've, because I'm a developmental psychologist, so I work with uh, um, children and young people focusing particularly on social and emotional development and mental health, which is what brought me into kindness, which we'll come on to later, I guess. Um, But all of those topics, as you can imagine, are hugely prominent and relevant at the moment, aren't they? Because we're all thinking about well-being and what really matters for well-being and how we connect with each other in a context where actually a lot of the things we take for granted have been taken away from us. So we're not seeing other people um, in person like, like we used to. Schooling has completely changed for uh, so many children and young people. And that brings with it actually some really interesting transformations. And one of them, I think, is that we're all beginning to ask ourselves more about what really matters. You know, a lot of the things that have had to change practically because of social distancing or self-isolation. Those kinds of things have really made us question, what are the things which really matter in our life? Is it the things that we were always being told are the most important, the things that we need to achieve or the things that we need to demonstrate in order to show that we're making progress? 
or is it something to do with you know the the values that we hold around our connections with other people and one of the interesting things that we've found is that although there's a huge mix in terms of people's experience of the covid-19 pandemic people have very very different circumstances that they have to deal with um one of the things that comes through is that the importance of relationships the fact that we need to pay attention to relationships is now accepted in a much more profound way than i think was the case in the past and actually one of the things that we found is that people have become even more, more motivated to find ways of making those connections precisely because you can't take them for granted anymore and i think that's really interesting as well i mean here of course we've got thousands of students and students have also told me that they've seen that they amongst themselves are checking in on each other and forging connections with each other actually displaying innumerable acts of kindness on a regular basis in ways that just weren't happening before and i think it's because like i said we're giving the importance to our relationships and our well-being in a way that maybe got kind of cast aside as being not so important there are other things to be worrying about uh, um in the past so yeah that, i think that's an interesting feature of what's happening at the moment yeah it's fascinating you know and i wonder whether we've kind of been pulling ourselves away from each other consistently whether that's through social media whether that's through the self scanner at the supermarket where we don't see anybody and say oh morning or yeah. you know making it so that we get deliveries and we don't have to go out and see anybody and you know we just we've been making ourselves more and more insular through choice and yeah. now suddenly that choice has been taken away from us. We're like, oh no, we really miss that. Actually, we we yeah. need that human connection, and we realise how important it is. Right? Well, you you know the point you were making about like the deliveries or the self service checkouts. I mean, I, I don't don't know if this is just me or other people as well, but I feel like in the context of the pandemic, those small encounters that we have with anybody else who happens to be around at the self service checkout. Or when someone is just delivering a parcel, actually those encounters become really significant, and you can actually, I get to, like to get to know you as a person um, because in the past they would have been just completely insignificant encounters that no one would even give any thought to, and now those might be literally the only people you see in person. So yeah. they matter, and I guess that's what it comes down to, right? We're saying that people matter. And yeah. our, our connection with people matter. Yeah. See, I go, I've been going with my mum for a walk and um, and we'll go around the town and everybody wants to stop and have a conversation. You know, it's it, and never before people would just kind of wave and you just you just go by them. But everyone wants to stop. And it is interesting when something's taken away from us, that option that everyone's just craving it, aren't they? That connection and interaction. And yeah. Definitely, definitely. And the fact that it happens actually when you consider all the stresses and real emotional burdens that we're facing and you know obviously to a greater or lesser extent different people actually what's remarkable is just how much positivity there is as well um and you say about you know people stopping to chat and having have, have some sort of a connection with each other 
um, it's marked by a huge amount of positivity as well. And the feeling of maybe it's a common bond, maybe it's that sense of common humanity in a shared shared crisis when we're facing, uh, you know, a, a, a real set of global circumstances which are challenging us. Maybe in some way that brings us closer together as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It does depend in any circumstance or any life situation on which way you're looking. So you can look at this as being the worst thing in the world, or you can look at the other side and go, wow, there's all this connection going on. I don't mean necessarily about COVID because it is a a terrible thing, but any circumstance, life situation. And, And there's a lot of positive things going on within society through the pain um of covid and the uh the sadness of it so yeah no i couldn't i couldn't agree more and i guess the the other thing is that it's never just the case of one or the other they're not mutually exclusive right and i i've often felt that there's so much more volatility in how we're feeling um at the moment you get real real ups and downs. Sometimes in the space of a single day, you can really go up and down quite a lot. And that's quite disorienting as well. But it's something that I think is happening globally that we're experiencing these quite dramatic things in our lives. So let's just talk about the Cress Lab that uh, you know is talked about on the website. Um, yeah. Maybe give a little bit of insight onto where that came from. Was it something that's just always been with the University of Sussex? Did you come up with that? Uh, maybe share a bit of information about that. Absolutely. So, uh, no, Crest Lab uh, is something that I created uh, quite a long time ago, um, and it's the the research lab associated with the work that I do. So. I would say the majority of the work that I do is really located at that intersection of education and mental health. Um, so I do a lot of work with practitioners and policymakers, which is all about trying to take the insights from the research that we do into children's development and apply it to uh, um, improving, enhancing, maybe even transforming uh, the provision that we have for children and young people. As I said, especially at that sort of a uh, point of intersection between school and mental health. Um, and that's a really important uh, trajectory for work going forward as well, especially in the COVID-19 context. You know, well-being in schools has never been more important. Well, so many questions. Where, where, it's a little bit of a loaded question, but where do you think that we're failing within our education system within the UK? It's a big question and maybe one... <laughs> That's a really big question. I think we should be. I think we should be a little bit cautious about saying where are we failing, um, because we need to really try and work out um, uh, a kind of picture of all the good things that are happening in our education system as well. Because there are lots of real positives in there. There's a lot of hugely important practice out there, um, and I include within that a lot of fantastic work that's taking place. Uh, with uh, staff up and down the country and the children and the parents, the entire school community to um, support well-being and to support mental health. I guess I guess the place where it begins to fall down a little bit is in thinking that there's a sort of a trade-off between paying attention to mental health and well-being on the one hand 
and um, focusing on the academic achievements, academic standards, and qualifications yeah. of uh, children and young people. And I think that's a hugely problematic uh, mistake to make. And I, I'm afraid that mistake gets made all the time. Yeah. There's a sense that the two of them are competing with each other, and it's just not true. They're not, they, they, they don't have to compete with each other. It's not the case that if you're spending time in a school thinking about how to support children's well-being, that somehow you're taking time away from the academic standards uh, agenda. Actually, by focusing on well-being, by creating an environment where people feel secure and supported and feel like they're well-connected with the people around them, peer groups, the child-adult relationships, even the community setting as well, like how the school fits in with the wider community, those sorts of things, in my opinion, and research really supports this, are actually a foundation for academic success as well. So I think there's a sort of a false dichotomy out there, which maybe is a kind of a failing on the part of our education system, where we kind of think that it's all about the sort of uh, academic standards, examinations, how people are performing on those. That's the kind of absolute guiding force and anything else is detracting from that and what we've got to recognize is that it's really not like that the research makes it very clear the two go hand in hand Mm. yeah I definitely from my experience within the schools you have um, these incredible teachers um, who are drowning in a process of kind of tick sheets and so that ability you know they see so many things that they want to do um but just have their hands tied because there's just not enough time for them to be able to do all the things that they want to do um yeah that's a real challenge isn't it and you know there there is an issue of practically um how do you invest time in all of those different priorities and i guess we just need to be smarter about that smarter about what is the best investment of time? Because that is a limited resource, right? We've only got yeah. that many teachers in that many uh, that many days in the school year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it that we really want to achieve with that time? Uh, I think the more we do around integration of these different priorities, the better. So a lot of what we try to do in our work is to uh, coordinate with um, uh, policymakers at local and national levels, whether it's local authorities or uh, government uh, policies as well, and also with school practitioners, uh, with leaders in schools, uh, with teachers. And actually, it's not just about the teacher and staff, it's about everybody working in a school environment, you know, midday supervisors, teaching assistants, everybody in the school environment. We need to try and work together to say, what is the kind of overarching vision for what we want to achieve? What is school for? What are we trying to create together? Mm. Um, as just one illustration of that, one of the really nice uh, pieces of work that I've been involved with for the last few years has been the work in uh, Wales on their uh, new national curriculum, because the Welsh curriculum is not the same as the English one. Um, uh, in Wales, there is a uh, um, very big piece of work going on at the moment, which is uh, called Curriculum for Wales, which is going to be formally launched in uh, next year, 2022. And there's been a wonderful, um, wonderful program of work to kind of 
co-developed this new curriculum, which I've had the honor of being involved in, with uh, practitioners who are there working on the ground with children and young people. And one of the really nice things about it, Nala, is that we've got health and well-being embedded right at the core of the curriculum, um, at the same level as um, literacy, mathematics, humanities, and science. We've got health and well-being, and also the expressive arts as well, right there as a core area of learning and experience. And I think that's such an important step Mm -hmm. for us to be taking. So that's the kind of integration, I think, we really need to have happening. Yes, absolutely. So I've just finished working on it with a steering group of teachers around. So I have a social movement, uh, social kindness movement called Sunshine People. And, you know, a lot of people keep asking me, you know, what can you do within our school system? It's it's quite a, uh, it's a social, it's based on all of society. It's not, uh, I also work with organizations around bringing kindness into workplaces but this is very much a societal uh thing more fun really and um yeah and what kind of came from that was that yes we need to integrate it within our systems because of time as well but also because you know it needs to be built into projects it needs to be built into um the way of learning about history but learning it on a values-based way and what was the empathy and you know gratitude yes. around certain things and um you know it is it is uh fascinating I think I, I'm excited by the idea that Wales could because I've heard about it Wales could be the leader in changing our education system very quickly actually because it sounds like they ripped up the book and just went you know we're just gonna we're going to just do it, you know, which often people are so fearful to do. Right. But yeah. that, what Wales are doing seems to be the, you know, it seems to be courageous and is going to work. Right. I mean, it, it, it is courageous, I think. And it is a challenging thing to, you know, contemplate starting from uh, scratch and really having that big overhaul. But I guess one of the interesting things about it is that it's also starting from an agreement about first principles. Like, what are we actually doing this for? Um, what are we trying to achieve here? And so what what happens there is that we uh, begin to have conversations across a very, very wide body of people, a wide spectrum of society about what do we actually want to achieve? What, again, it goes back to that fundamental question uh, of what are schools for? Um, and it's not simply an exam factory. I don't think anybody would say we want schools simply to be an exam factory where we teach students how to perform well on a test and that's it. Um, I don't think anybody goes into the teaching profession uh, with that purpose in mind. What they do have as purposes in mind is we want to have a well-rounded education system. We want our young people to uh, learn about the world and about each other. We want them to be healthy. We want them to be confident. We want them to be ambitious. We want them to be ethical. We want them to care about each other. You know, all of those kinds of things, being creative, all of those kinds of things become our first principle. And we say, right, have we got a system that really works to achieve those things? And I think arguably many people would say, well, there's a lot of great practice that does support those things, but it's definitely not how it feels all of the time everywhere. And I don't think anybody would agree uh, uh, sorry, I don't think anybody would disagree uh, with that conclusion. It's definitely, uh, you know, uh, 
a, a big program of work that needs to happen. So yeah, that, that's that's why I feel like we do need to go back to basics and look at that big conversation piece. What do we really want? And agree on that together. Thank you so much for listening. If you have loved this episode, please do share it with others. Pop on and give a lovely review, but mostly take forwards into your life something that can change someone else's. We are looking for the elusive happiness and kindness is the action that can get us there.